right, how's it going? Good. I'm going to mess up the little fur baby there again. Y'all sleep good. Have a good night. Good, good. So, one of you. Nice. Way to go. Well, you got nap time this afternoon if you need that. Hopefully, um, last night kind of sank in a little bit. I hope you all had some good group time together. Um, I, I realized that as I got up to share last night, I, I failed to really kind of introduce myself, some things about me that may be helpful to know. So um, Steve says really kind things about me, um, and I appreciate that. Some are true, some are not. Um, but I do, I do live in Omaha, Nebraska. I've lived there for th- almost 13 years. Um, my wife and I, um, Shireen is her name. She is this amazingly beautiful Persian Mexican woman, and uh, she has she is the love of my life. I met her at the University of Georgia, and we got married in 2004. And in 2007, after working at the Wesley Foundation for a little bit, we we just asked the Lord. We told the Lord really because one of the things that drew us together was God. We'll go anywhere you want us to go, and we'll do anything you want us to do. That was one of the things that really knit our hearts together early in our relationship. And so in 2007, we lifted that prayer up to God, and we expected to go somewhere kind of cool or sexy or like overseas or warm or, you know, something like that. And we ended up in Omaha, Nebraska. And and it was through a a series of really kind of supernatural things. And so we took it as this is the open door. This is where God wants us to go and kind of thought it would be like a maybe a three, five, maybe seven year stint. And we've been there 13 years now. And we just kind of continue to say yes to to what God has for us there. So I just checked the weather. Um, the, The wind chill in Omaha right now is nine degrees. So if you're complaining about the cold, um, be thankful. And we actually have a rule in place in our school system that when the wind chill is at negative 20, they cancel school. Can you believe that they even had to create that rule, right? And we actually do enforce it a few times a year. Um, it's, it's awful. It's painful. So um, we're, we're kind of enduring that, but we really do love Omaha. We love um, the life that God's given us there, and he's given us four awesome kids. I mentioned one of them last night. We have two boys, two girls. Laylee is our oldest. She's 12 years old, so we're learning. We're navigating middle school right now and all that, that, that comes with that. My wife read an article recently that children are like dogs when they're young. They just kind of want your attention. They want your affection. They kind of, for the most part, kind of go where you ask them to go, do what you ask them to do. And then they enter into adolescence and they become cats. And uh, they kind of just, you never know what to expect and, and how to interact with them. And we're experiencing a cat in our house right now. And we're doing the very best we can with her. And she, she's, uh, she's a great, great little girl. And uh, we've got two boys, Charlie and Hutch, not Starsky. But that would have been cool if we had thought ahead. Uh, but it's Charlie and Hutch. And then our youngest is Sarah Chambliss. And uh, she's, she's a doll. She is pretty much perfect in every way and is missing her two front teeth right now. And it's just awesome to watch her try to communicate. And we're, we're having a lot of fun with that. So th- that's our life. And you'll hear me refer to different things um, throughout that. But that's a little context for you. I know when I'm in a setting like this and I'm, I'm learning from somebody, I kind of like to know who, who is this person. So that's, that, that's a little bit about who I am. Hopefully, as you were able to, to process last night, I, ho- I hope really you had some great conversation in your group. Really, my hope is, 
in each of these messages that I share um, that your group time really is dynamic. And, and there's some real vulnerability, there's some real openness, and there's some real insight that's released in your group time. And so really I'm, I'm trying my best to kind of create some stuff that gets you thinking and gets you having maybe some new and fresh conversation and beginning to perceive things in a way that you haven't seen them before. And so I just want to remind you and maybe even clarify if it felt a little messy. Last night was long and there was a lot I tried to say in a, in a relatively short period of time. It was really two messages crammed into one. So I hope it all made sense to you. But in case the, the, um, the laundry feels a little wrinkly right now, I'm going to iron it out a little bit. I just want to remind you, okay, there's these two halves of life. There's the young and there's the old. And this is just the, the normal, um, this is just the normal path of life. This is the terrain. You could say it that way. Like if, if we are, I mentioned last night that, that if we're ships, God's asking us to put up our sail so as we talk about our journey, which is all that we're discussing in this, these sessions together, is our journey in Christ and our journey as men, the, the young and the old paradigm is like the sea, okay? It's just, it's just the environment that our ships sail on, okay? And, and it's just a reality of our life. In the same way that the sea has choppy waters and smooth waters and big waves and small waves and shores and coasts and all of that kind of stuff, the young and the old is just the reality of life. That we, we progress through life in a particular way where when we're younger, we have a level of independence, we have this energy, and, and we need to focus in it, it in a particular way. And then as we get older, as our responsibilities grow, as we walk through life and our time to accomplish our dreams seems to get shorter and shorter, there are different things that press upon us. And in many ways, it has to do, it leads to kind of some despair, some depression, some uncertainty, and creates kind of the midlife crisis, right? This is, this is really just the, this is the sea that our ships sail on. And, and I wanted to throw that paradigm out for you so you'd begin to, to think into where, where am I? Like, what are the seas like around me right now? Am I, am I kind of in the struggle of the young and trying to figure out my life? Or am I in the struggle of the old, actually trying to learn how to give my life away? And I think many, many times if we don't really even understand where we are in the sea, our approach to those struggles might be misguided. And so then on top of that, I really talked about that the next layer was this path of our spiritual journey. And so you could say this was charting the course. Okay, so the sea is like the young and the old, and, and what I talked about next was charting the course, like, like where are you actually going? And, and that, remember, was orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, this entering into a relationship with Jesus in, in ways that we understand, in ways that we can grasp, in ways that, that, that we're encountering him uh, that makes sense to us, and then the disorientation, hitting that place, and all of us do, hitting that place where things just aren't adding up the way we thought they would add up as a follower of Jesus. But if we can press through that, and really if we can recognize that that doesn't mean something's wrong. It doesn't mean that we've, we've gotten so far off course that we can never get back on course. Even if, if, if that disorientation was a result of a decision you made, or a sin that you stepped into, or a mistake that you made, it doesn't mean that you've fallen completely off the course. In many ways, it, it is the, the journey that God has you on that if you'll press through and continue to hang on to him, you enter into reorientation. And so you just continue to press through the journey and you actually become a better version of that follower of Jesus, that husband, that father, that friend, that brother, that son, whatever it may be for you as you continue to press through that crisis. So hopefully, as we talked about those two things, you're able to figure out what the seas are like around you, young and old. You're able to figure out your journey with Jesus. Are you in the orientation, disorientation, or reorientation phase? And now we're gonna actually talk a little bit deeper. We're gonna talk um, really about the condition of our boat right? The, the, the condition of our vessel. 
And for me, if you remember that last, uh, last night I talked about this story of, of kind of my blow up with Hutch and, and the process that I've been in really for four years, to, that, 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 that night catalyzed the process in me that God has used to really help change kind of my, the condition of my heart the vessel that I, that I operate in and, and that I live in. And, and there were a couple of things that I found as I started actually to seek out some counseling um, after that particular night, as I mentioned. And one of the things I discovered was the, the, the phase of life I was in, I was entering into the old phase. I was entering into the second half of life. And what I didn't understand is that first half of life had really been a lot about me. What do I want my life to look like? Who do I want to marry? Who, who am I going to worship? What am I going to be? Where am I going to live? Like, like a lot of things that, that, though tied to Jesus, were really decisions that I was making and a path that I was charting out together in relationship with Jesus. But I was, entering, I was at the very beginning of that second half of life, and I didn't understand it. And what counseling allowed me to do is recognize that, that this second half of life is really learning how to give your life away. And if you fight against that and if you resist that, it, the, the struggle will only continue to get harder and harder and harder. And so it was this aha moment for me to recognize, like I'm in a new phase now, I'm in a new season now with four young kids and kind of tight finances and a pretty demanding schedule that, 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 that just the phase of life was influencing my emotional state, the state of my vessel, right, the condition of my vessel. And then as I talked further, I began to realize that there was a particular situation that was happening that was disorientation for me. I, my, my dad was in his second bout with cancer. Um, I live a thousand miles away and, and it was really hard for me and I didn't recognize how hard it was for me to, to just hear updates every now and then about how my dad's health was failing and knowing that there was really not much opportunity for me to, to continue to grow in my relationship with him, maybe continue to try to build some things that were never built before or regain some things that were lost. And so I was seeing a door closed in my life, and it really created some disorientation for me. And so it was kind of this young old paradigm. It was, it was this, this orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Understanding that allowed me to recognize I'm not just the five-year-old who has a temper problem anymore. There's actually some real things happening in my life that I need to, to unpack and address. And I think for many of us, we, we can kind of enter into this, these different seasons of our lives and we approach these issues, these struggles, these problems, these crises in the same way that maybe our parents taught us to approach them when we were just little kids wrestling with things. But you've grown up now and, 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 and you're, you're, the seas are different and your vessel is different and you need to be able to have that perspective to be able to see, okay, Jesus, what do I need to do now? Like, like, this is maybe deeper than I thought it was. This is a bigger deal than I thought it was. And when I was 35 and blowing up at my children, I, I didn't need to just go to my room and calm down like I did when I was five. I needed to, to dig in a little bit and figure out what God was doing in my heart and doing in my life. And, and so hopefully you're, this will help you to do something very similar. And the second thing I hope that it does for you, it allows you to recognize that um, it's okay if you're in crisis. It's okay if you've blown it. It's okay if you're depressed. It's okay if you're anxious. It's okay if you're like medicating right now, if you're, if you're, you're just trying to silence the pain, if you're just ignoring, if you're passive, if you're kind of pushing things away. Like it's okay, meaning like this is life. All right, the struggle is real, but, but also the struggle is the point. These are the very things that God wants to use in our life to mature us and to grow us and deepen us if we will engage these things. And so what I, what I want to talk about um, this morning is really trying to evaluate the state of our vessel, the state of our heart, 
So we're going to do a little heart work. We're going to kind of evaluate kind of where we are in our heart, and, and then you're going to talk about it with some other men. So hopefully um, you're comfortable doing that, and maybe it's been a long time since you've done that. And, and I'm going to try to give you some language right now that might help you be able to figure out where you really are in your heart. What's the state of your vessel? What's the, the state, the condition of your ship? And, and it's, it's inspired by this, this idea called the critical journey. The critical journey is a, um, a, one of the many paradigms out there to kind of understand uh, the, the spiritual path that Jesus has us on. Um, I think it was developed in the 1980s. There's a thousand different versions of these types of things, but this one I, I find really helpful. And, and as you're kind of thinking through this, and we're going to put it on the screen so you can see it because uh, there's a lot of stages in it. I just want to read a passage that is probably familiar to many of you. This is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. And ultimately, what we're doing this morning is, is we're just evaluating our hearts so we know how to, how to deal with the condition of our hearts. Some of us look at that, and we, we put a lot of different understandings around that word guard. What does guard mean? And, and in our kind of setting this morning, um, what, what I want it to mean for us, because it means many things, it's a multi-layered word, is you need to evaluate, you need to care for, and you need to to tend your heart, okay? And so the critical journey and the passive, the steps of the stages of the critical journey may help us there. So I'm just going to talk through each of these. Um, and as I do this, I'm going to talk about kind of the heart condition in the midst of each of these stages and um, some examples, some characteristics, and hopefully it'll allow you to maybe figure out where you are, where your heart is, the state of your vessel on this critical journey, okay? So the first is the recognition of God. And I would say um, that's characterized by kind of the state of heart, I would say, is humility. It's this, this place that we enter into at the beginning of our relationship with God where we recognize that Jesus is Lord and I am not, that I need to be forgiven, that I'm a mess, I need grace, I need mercy, I need the love of God in my life, I can't live well without it, I, I crave his voice because I can't make decisions just in my own wisdom and guidance. These are the types of things that, that really speak to and characterize this first stage. It's just the recognition of God. It's that, that place in your life where you made a decision, where you, it's that aha moment that God is actually alive, he's real, and he wants relationship with you. For me, there's sometimes stages even within this. When I was in third grade, I made a decision to, to invite, in the language that I understood at that time, to invite Jesus into my life as my Savior that would forgive me of my sins so that I could enter into eternal relationship with Him. That was the language I was told as a third grader. It's the language I understood, and it was sincere, and it was genuine. But then I remember in seventh grade, actually on this campsite down in Mobley Hall, worshiping. It, might, it may have been with Jeff and Kibby DeJarnett. I'm not sure, Harrison, but I, th I think it was. And, and they were leading this song, We Will Dance on the Streets That Are Golden, the Glorious bride and the great son of man. I don't remember all the rest of the words, but I remember singing this song and worshiping and lifting my hands and having this aha moment. You're real. Like this isn't, this isn't a myth. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't just a set of beliefs that I need to ascribe to so that I can be a decent person. Like you're real. And, and that, was a, that was this moment of recognition that I still remember to this day. And maybe you've had those moments of recognition in your own life that, that were these aha moments of the reality of God's love or the reality of God's voice or the reality of your need for God. And I believe it can be characterized in many ways. The condition of our heart in that season is humility. Just this recognition that, that God is God and I am not. The second is the life of discipleship. And I would say in, in many ways the state of our heart um, that you could kind of label in, in that season is hunger. 
the life of discipleship, it, it's when your heart is in a place that's hungry, where you're just wanting more of God, you're wanting to connect, you're wanting to open up the Bible and under, understand it a little bit more and get into what it's really saying to you. You're, you're wanting to, to, to pray and to, to interact with God. You're wanting to worship. You're wanting to show up at church and you can't get enough of what the church is doing because you're entering into this, this new life that is so real and vibrant to you. And, and I would say that many of us, um, as we enter into this, either just the basics of following Jesus. These are the basic things that we understand of what it means. Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's, it's just kind of the, the understanding of what does a follower of Jesus really look like? The reality is, is many people say yes to Jesus and they never even enter into phase two. That they never even connect the dot that the decision I made on Sunday morning should affect Monday morning. It should affect Friday night. It should affect family dinners. It should affect business meetings. It should affect my relationship with my neighbors. It should affect the way I spend my time and my money and my energy. It should affect the way I interact with people, right? Like, like some of us don't even enter into that. But once you begin to enter into that, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to begin to dive in and sink into that. That's the life of discipleship. That's when you really begin to understand that this wasn't just an internal relationship decision that you made to say yes to Jesus, and then you kind of live normal life until you get to go to heaven. But actually, this was a taking on of a whole new lifestyle. Jesus says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're going to talk about that tomorrow morning and what that really meant. But, but, but on, a, on a short level, what, what I want you to understand is when he said my yoke is easy, he's really saying my lifestyle, my way of living, my way of doing things. And when you say yes to Jesus, hopefully you said yes to that as well. And if you didn't say yes to that as well, I want to encourage you to say yes to that as well. That's the life of discipleship. When you're beginning to build a life that looks a lot like Jesus, and then that leads into the productive life. The productive life where fruit, good fruit, is actually being produced in your life. And I would say that this can be characterized in the state of heart um, as, as like contentment. It's just you're, you're kind of like, ah, oh, this is good. Like, like I'm seeing the fruit of, of what it, how, how good it is to follow Jesus, how good he is as my Lord and Savior. If you're married, you may remember back to when you first got married, or maybe you are newly married, and, and you gained probably 15 pounds in that first year, right? That is contentment, right? It's just like this, ah, oh, like, it finally happened. I'm not as ugly and as much of a loser as I thought I was, right? Like, it's, it's like, yeah, this is good. Like, like I've, I've, I've attained this desire of my heart, and this is contentment. And you may be in that place of life where you say, man, I've recognition of God, that there's the humility, then there was the hunger, but right now I'm just in this place where I'm just, I feel like I'm kind of coasting. Like, things are pretty good, and, you know, I'm following Jesus, I'm engaged in my church, I'm, I'm steadily walking with Him, and I'm doing my best to be loving to others and live a life that looks a lot like Him, and things are just pretty good and pretty steady. That would be the productive life. And all three of those, the, the recognition of God, the life of discipleship, and then the productive life, they all kind of live under that heading that we talked about in Peter's life last night on the, on the sea, which is that, that, that um, beginning season of orientation. That's just kind of like getting to know Jesus on terms that kind of make sense to you. That all three of those states of heart really kind of fit into that orientation season. Now, here's kind of where I think some of us, including myself, can get it wrong, is we often think that once we get to that place of contentment, once we get to that place of the productive life, that we have, in, like we have reached the end goal, that we're done, we've arrived, and now we just kind of ride it out to the end. 
But it's really these next phases that I think are really insightful to help us, if, if you haven't experienced it yet, to become equipped for what's coming. Um, if you are in it, to understand what you're in. And maybe if you've already been through it, to be able to look back and make sense of what it was all about. Because that journey, you're actually just at the beginning in those first three stages. The next stage, and this is where we start to enter into disorientation, these next two stages. The first of those two is the journey inward. The journey inward. And I would say that can be characterized in in terms of the state of your heart when you're in a place of kind of introspection, a growing self-awareness about who you really are. Sometimes this, this begins when you, you have some close friends who are honest enough with you. You've got roommates who are honest enough with you to say, you know what it's like to live with you? You're like, wow, my mom never told me that, right? For me, I remember early in marriage, I, one of our more intense conversations within our first probably six months of marriage that, you know, we're trying to figure out what, what a chores look like and who cleans the bathroom and who cleans the bedroom and who cleans the dishes. And I wish I could say I was just a servant enough of a man to just do everything that was ever needed, but I was not. But I, I did these things and I constantly was a little bit bitter that they weren't being done by her also. And, and I remember having a conversation. I remember exactly where we were sitting and talking about, you know, Shereen, I feel like I'm cleaning the bathroom and I'm cleaning the kitchen and I'm doing all these things to serve you. And I feel like you're just kind of sitting back and receiving it. And I'm not sure what to do about that. And I want to die to myself, but this is hard and all this. And she said, you know what, Micah, you're doing all those things, but it's not a blessing to me because I see the chip on your shoulder all the time. And I was like, interesting. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see anything right there at all. Turns out, the more I look back, I think I had, I've, I had had that chip for about 25 years, right? And it was, she was the first one to really tell me. And, and it, it began, the, that moment of self-realization right there was beginning in some ways of the journey inward in that phase of our life, in our marriage. That recognition that maybe you're not who you thought you would be is really the way to say it. That, you, that you, you didn't have it together like you thought you would have it together. You, you haven't really become what you thought you would become, either as a husband, as, as a son, as a friend, as an employer, employee, as a father. Those moments, early moments with my kids in that first season of constantly dealing with, with anger and frustration and feeling like there was kind of this raging river inside of me all the time that I was terrified they would do something to cause it to spill out. It was the journey inward, right? And there may be places in your life right now where you would say, man, I'm, I'm kind of living in this journey inward, and it's this growing self-awareness of what's going on inside of me. And then the next phase of this disorientation is the wall. The wall is, um, can, can be characterized, I would say, in the state of our heart by maybe disappointment, depression, anxiety, where the journey inward is this recognition that I'm not who I thought I was, the wall is the recognition that life isn't what I hoped it would be. Like it did, things didn't quite come together the way I expected. The job was harder than I thought. The career took a path I didn't expect. The relationship fizzled. I made a huge mistake. It's more challenging than I expected. I blow up on my kids or maybe I'm not in their life and they don't know me. It's that, it's that recognition that life maybe isn't exactly all that it's cracked up to be. It's this recognition of maybe reorienting our life around a different set of paradigms and a different understanding. Failure, disappointment, sickness, loss, 
deconstruction is a big part of this. We see this all through the church in these days where influential men and women who have loved God and followed God most of their lives encounter this season, this wall, and it doesn't align with their orientation version of Christianity. And so what do they do? What's the buzzword right now? The deconstruction of our faith, right? It's this deconstructing. And I would say this, it's okay to deconstruct if your goal is to eventually reconstruct. But if you're just deconstructing in order to walk away from the rubble, you're heading in a very dangerous direction. We've seen great authors, great pastors, great songwriters even within the last year deconstruct their faith. And I would say it's because maybe part of it a failure to understand that the season of disorientation is the very season where God can move you from immature faith to mature faith if you can just hang on and if you can allow him to rebuild and actually build a more beautiful version of your relationship with him. I remember for me when I hit the wall, um, when, I, when I began to, to wrestle and, and my relationship with, with Hutch, just kind of that night with Hutch kind of brought everything to the surface. And as I said earlier, I, I started to go to counseling. And, and one of the things my counselor hit on was he, he said, I, I want you just to talk to me. Tell me about your life. And so as I talked to him about my life, that's, that's where I began to understand, and he didn't use these terms, but I began to understand that I was kind of entering into adulthood and, and, and the challenge of giving my life away. And, and he was like, tell me about your heart a little bit. And so I, I told him a little bit about different things I was wrestling with and, and different struggles and, and kind of my, some of my history. And he, he really honed in on something that I thought was not an issue at all. He said, I, wanna, I want you to talk to me more about your dad. Like there's something there that we're going to dig into. And, 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 and I told him that my dad was, was going through his second cancer battle and, and he probably wasn't going to make it through this one apart from a real significant miracle. And I was preparing my heart to lose him and you know, living a thousand miles away. And, and I began to unpack my relationship with my dad. And, and as I unpacked it, I kept saying, but it's okay because like we're good. Like I know my dad wasn't perfect, but he was really great in many, many ways and maybe didn't meet my expectations in some ways, but exceeded it in others. And, and I've even written my dad when I was 30 years old. I wrote him a letter just thanking him for the, the kind of man he was to me. I, th- I think I've really dealt with it. I'm good. And he continued to press into the dad thing. And I didn't want him to keep pressing into the dad thing, but he felt like he needed to. And so he did this thing one day. We walked into the counseling office and there's this empty chair in front of me. And he said, we're going to talk to your dad today. And I was like, I mean, you want to call him? Like, what are we going to do here? And he said, no, let's just pretend he's in the chair. And I want you to just have a conversation with your father. And just tell him what you think about him and what you think about your relationship with him. And it was super awkward, right? Maybe you've been in a setting like that. It was weird for me. And I sat back, and at first it was real, like, cool and casual. Hey, Dad, love you. You know, I hope these last months that you have with Mom and Mal and David are okay and I started to get a little bit more emotional. And within, without giving all the details, within about three minutes, I am yelling and screaming and crying at an empty chair. I was laying into an empty chair. I let it all out, disappointments, expectations I'd had for him to engage my life, to, to care a little bit more, to, to engage me a little bit more, to ask me more questions, to have mentored me and fathered me and taught me things and, and all this stuff that I didn't even know was there. And I sat back and Turned to my counselor, I was like, I'm sorry, that was really weird. And uh, he, he just kind of smiled and said, okay, I think something's there. And what I recognized was there was some significant disappointment that as a follower of Jesus, I had assumed I just needed to be a big boy and sweep under the rug and say, you know what, it's just life, it's okay, it's, it's just fine, nobody's perfect. 
And he gave me permission in that moment to say, it's okay to let it hurt. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to recognize. And, and really, what the, the struggle with the wall often is, depending on how you're wired and what you've been taught and ha- how you've kind of learned to make it through life, we often just don't know what to do with the wall. And so we, many of us, we ignore it or we, we, we act like it's there or, or we just do our very best to move on beyond it, to climb over it. But kind of what I talked about last night, but we often never really understand how to go through it. And for me, that was an opportunity to go through it. And I hope that as I share that story, maybe it stirs something in you if you'd say, there's, a, there, there, there's some disappointment I'm probably living in that I haven't owned, that I haven't recognized. Maybe I've made excuses for them. Maybe I've made excuses for me. Maybe I've just ignored it. Maybe I've just tried to move beyond it. But maybe there's something there that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you and you'd say, man, maybe I am in a real season of, I'm, in, I'm, I'm at the middle of, I'm, I'm facing the wall. I'm facing the wall. I think on the other side of the wall is when things get really good. They did for me. They have for many people that I've spoken to. And as I've kind of gotten to know other people and heard their stories without using this language, it's, it's the other side of the wall that we really begin to enter into the fullness of life that Jesus has for us as we progress. And there's these next two stages that, are, that I would classify as more under the reorientation part of our spiritual development. It's the outward journey, finally accepting the fact that our lives are meant to be lived on behalf of others both for God and for those in our lives, and we begin to think outwardly. I would say the, the condition in our heart um, that, that we could characterize that by is um, a, a revisitation of humility, but it, it's kind of a different kind of humility. It's, it's not this, this humility like the very first stage, which is kind of you're great and I'm not, but it's, it's this, this deeper humility that says, and, and you've, you've given me something to give the world, and I will spend my life to give it away. It's this recognition of servanthood, this recognition of pouring our lives out in the way Jesus poured his life out for us, this, this desire and this willingness to, to live our lives for the sake of our kids, our wives, our, you know, our, our friends, our family, our businesses, whatever it is that God's put into our lives to pour our lives away on. This is the outward journey Tim Keller say, calls it this. He, he says that one of the greatest gifts in the second half of our life is what he calls the gift of self-forgetfulness. The gift of self-forgetfulness. It's when we get to that place where it, it, life is not just oriented all around ourselves. And, and we don't wake up every morning kind of thinking about us, but we begin to wake up every morning thinking about the world around us and those around us. And then lastly, and we're going to talk about more of this tonight, but is the life of love the life of love that I would say is characterized by a deep and abiding joy, a deep and abiding joy that remains even in the midst of difficulty and challenge. And so the, 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 these, are, these are titles, these are descriptors of these different stages, but remember the state of your heart, connection in the midst of these is the first is humility, the life of discipleship, hunger, the productive life, contentment, the journey inward, self-awareness, the wall, disappointment, the journey outward, humility, and then the life of joy, uh, the life of love is joy, okay? So I want to talk about two, two ways that we approach these. Going back to the John thing. Remember the John thing? When you were young, 
You went where you wanted to go. You did what you wanted to do. I'm paraphrasing that. When you're older, Jesus said to Peter, you'll go where you don't want to go. You'll stretch out your arms and someone else will dress you. Remember? And so there, there's two types of spirituality we can see kind of hinted at in this, this word to John. And they are active and passive spirituality. Active and passive spirituality. And why I think these are important to think about here for a minute as, as we're kind of wrapping things up is depending on where you are in your phase of life, young and old, depending where you are in your spiritual journey, orientation, disorientation, reorientation, and then depending on where you are in the state of your vessel within this critical journey, it, 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 that will speak into which of these two things you probably need to lean into in this season of your life, either passive spirituality or active spirituality. Active spirituality is the one that we're most familiar with. Active spirituality is the understanding that I have to engage what God is doing in my life. I have to participate in what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. I need to pick up some spiritual practices. I need to, to reorient kind of the way I spend my time and my money and my energy and actually need to partner with what Jesus is doing in my life in order to grow into maturity. And so these are the things that many of us understand. I gotta get into scripture. I, I need to pray. I need to worship. I need to go to church. I need to, to confess sin. I need to have accountability in my life. I need to have community and relationship. And slowly as you walk the journey with Jesus, you'll find that you can't have have life with him if you don't also have those things that are constantly breathing into that life, that are constantly cultivating that life, that are constantly developing that life. And that's the active spirituality. And I would say that active spirituality is necessary all the days of our life, but it's especially necessary when we're on the young half, when we're just learning how to journey with God and we're asking these huge questions, who am I going to be? Who am I going to love? And who am I going to worship? You want to have active relationship with God. You want to be leaning into scripture, leaning into good counsel, leaning into prayer in, in the midst of those big questions. When you're in the first half of your critical journey, as you're in this, this stage of life of the recognition of God or the life of discipleship or the productive life, you, you, you want to be leaning in in a way that's actually producing that fruit, developing some disciplines, developing some active engagement in your spiritual life. And if you would say, I'm, I'm kind of in the young half of life, or I'm in the first half of my critical journey, or I'm in the beginning half of my spiritual journey of orientation, I would say, learn some spiritual practices. We're going to talk about some specific ones tomorrow and begin to lean into what God's doing in your life. But the second one of these, which is really interesting and we often don't hear much about, is the passive spirituality passive spirituality. And I want to contrast these real quick because passive spirituality, I think, often goes um, misunderstood or never even understood. And so, um, again, these are old ancient concepts that um, I'm just discovering and, and they find they've been very helpful to me. So in Psalm 27, you see the contrast of these two things. For instance, you see it really all through the Psalms, but you really see it in Psalm 27. It's a, it's a clear contrast. In verse 7, it says, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer. My heart says of you, seek your face. So your face, Lord, I will seek. And so we see here David saying, I'm, I'm going to call out to you. I'm going to seek your face. He goes on to see, say in verse 11, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of oppressors. And so we have this idea of being on a journey and taking steps and, and making decisions and actively engaging our life. This is active spirituality. But there's another portion of our spiritual lives and, 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 and spiritual formation people would say this, that active spirituality, if your life is an alphabet, would get you to about M, about halfway through the alphabet. 
It's passive spirituality that really takes you through the rest of the way. It's where real maturity begins to operate in your life. And we don't love that word passive, but there's something here that I think might be an aha for you. And in verse 13 of Psalm 27, David says this, in the midst of all of this, here's how I'm going to pursue you, and here's how I'm going to go after you. He ends it with this, and I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. It's a picture of passive spirituality to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to pursue, but in the meantime, I'm also going to just settle and I'm going to trust and I'm going to wait and I'm going to wait well. It's a passive spirituality. It can be described most clearly, I believe, as an acceptance with where you've been and where you are. An acceptance of where you've been and where you are. This ability to just accept your history for what it was, what it has been, and the ability to accept yourself and all of your limitations and all of your imperfections and all of your broken relationships as you are. Just just recognizing that, okay, even in the midst of all this, God's with me. Even in the midst of all this, God is good. Even in the midst of all this, I'm seeing the hand of the Lord operate in our life. Passive spirituality is is this kind of passion and this hunger to move the hand of God. Passive spirituality is this willingness and openness to also let the hand of God do what it will with our lives. Beginning to see God's hand in the struggle. Begin to see God's hand in the brokenness. Begin to see God's hand in our limitations in our history, in our faults, in our failures, where active spirituality is scripture and prayer and worship, passive spirituality is things like solitude, contemplation, Sabbath, celebration, lament. We'll talk about what all those things are tomorrow. It's, it's this other set of spiritual disciplines that we often don't apply to our lives any longer. And they actually allow us to move into that second half of life and to get through that second half of struggles and to go through the disorientation in a way that we actually have some peace in the storm. We have, as David said, some confidence, this ability to know that God's still with me, this ability to know that he still loves me, this ability to know that he still cares. I believe most men enter into a relationship with Jesus and maybe live in the recognition phase for many, much of their lives. Just kind of, God's good, I love him. We just kind of go steady for a long, long time. When God really begins to move in your heart, you get hungry and you begin to pursue, you begin to build your life, you begin to do the active spirituality. But then when disorientation comes, when difficulty comes, when disappointment comes, we don't know what to do and we don't feel equipped because the stuff that we've always done doesn't seem to be working. And I believe that's when passive spirituality begins to become a great gift to us, to be able to sit and just to wait on God and to wait well on God, to accept our past, to to accept who we are today, to rest in the reality of the life that we've been given. In 2017, kind of a year into this whole deal, 
I was at a conference, and I was really being moved by a lot of things that were being shared at the conference. And at the last night of the conference, or last last session, uh, we were singing a worship song, and um, we're standing there, our, our arms raised, just experiencing the presence of Jesus. And all I could do was think about the fact that if I had known all of this information, this all that I had just taken in, if I, if I had been able to stick with it, if I had kind of continued to cultivate this really intense prayer life through those, those years of having kids where my prayer life just kind of suffered, if I, if I had been a little bit more committed to some of the things I was committed to in my 20s, if, if I had not lost so much ground, where could I be today? And I'm just, I'm worshiping Jesus, but in, inside I'm just constantly wishing I hadn't lost ground, wishing I had not given up on some things, wishing I had been more of a person of conviction, wishing I'd been more disciplined, all of these types of things. And the Holy Spirit just kind of interrupted me in the midst of that worship song and said, Micah, it's time to break the rearview mirror. I'm tired of you always looking back. Still a struggle for me. I still have to re-break it all the time. But I was reminded of that this morning. And I believe for some of you in this room, the Lord wants to say to you, you got to break the rearview mirror. It's one thing to, to go back and seek forgiveness. It's one thing to go back and kind of clean up your mess it's one thing to, 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 to go back and kind of fix what's been broken if that needs to happen. But it's a whole other thing to be moving forward in your journey as the Holy Spirit is breathing in your life and moving you ahead and constantly looking behind, wishing you had done things differently. The great gift of passive spirituality is this ability to say, it was what it was, but God is who he is. And it's going to be okay as I move forward. And there's some of you, I believe, that need to break the rearview mirror this morning. You need to stop looking back. You've made some mistakes. You've broken some relationships. You've made some decisions, maybe a career path that you, you took and you're kind of wondering, like, did I go off track somewhere because this isn't what I thought it would be? You know, a relationship that was broken in the past that you still carry the guilt from. Maybe even just your state of life with God right now. You can remember, I thought I would be like this, and I'm kind of like this. Right. And I believe God would say to you, just break the rearview mirror. Let's look ahead. Let's see where he's taken us. And let's go there, go there together with great joy, with great anticipation, with great excitement about what's ahead. I'm going to pray, and then you can go into your groups, or maybe Matt's going to give up and get up. Okay, but I'm going to pray for us. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your great love for us. And we ask right now, Lord, would you have your way? Would you give us, Lord, uh, for many of us, it's, this, is, this is completely foreign, but would you give us the ability to understand the state of our heart right now? To understand the condition of our heart right now? And then would you guide and lead how we respond to that? Whether we need to lean in, or whether we, to some degree, just need to sit back and trust and believe the things you say about us and about who we are. God, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us, and we ask this in your name. Amen.